0: Hi, I'm Brenda Braxton. Hey everyone, it's Miranda Heyman. Hi, I'm Lisa B. Thompson. Hi, I'm Tanya Pinkins, and you're listening to the Call and Response Podcast.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Call and Response Podcast with Felicia Fitzpatrick. And I know that every, (laughs) every week I'm so thrilled, I'm so hyped, I'm so excited to introduce that week's guest. And this week is absolutely no exception um y'all she's a tony winner i mean from jelly's last jam but you you see her in carolina change play on the wild party radio golf holler if you can hear me rashida speaking hurt village that's just a fraction of her credits on the stage (laughs) on tv you've probably seen her in gotham madam secretary fear of the walking dead as the world turns all my children like y'all She's an icon. Okay, she has a podcast called "You Can't Say That," so she is no stranger to the podcast realm. Um, and then, perhaps most excitingly, in this moment, she is the writer, director, and she is an actor in "Red Pill," a socio-political horror film that has won over fifteen awards. Um, which awards aren't everything, but it's so exciting to be recognized for your work. Um, mm-hmm. She just got recognized for outstanding direction at the Micho Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these exciting things so please it is it is my honor to introduce tanya pinkins hello hey felicia thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it i'm happy to have you um i think you i i i I do think you're an icon i think you are someone who is so unapologetically yourself um which i think can is hard for anyone but especially artists and so i really admire you for that um and I'm so I'm I'm excited to learn all about your artistic journey today. Okay, I'd love to start out learning. Um, how did you first get involved with performing arts?
0: Um, I think like my mother started me off in um like etiquette and elocution mm. when I was like maybe three or four years old. I remember going and um there was a a woman we would take the elevated train to see. And I would talk with marbles in my mouth and I would walk with books on my head. And then I would come home and have to do that again Wow! uh, at home. So um, a lot of practice from a very early age to um, enunciate and articulate Mm. and have good posture and bearing. So um, I think that that is all of the things that performers do. Mhm. And so I um I think that that's the beginning of it and then when I was probably about maybe 8 or 9 I my mother put me in a um a program that was uh, downtown Chicago on Wabash Avenue where I got to um do musical theater and be in Peter Pan and The Sound mm. of Music. So that was the beginnings for me.
1: And so when you were doing those musicals were well what um you know they talk about I guess like the theater bug biting someone like what about those experiences drew you in um
0: I think in terms of the bug biting me uh we moved into what had been a an all-jewish neighborhood and um the people whose house we moved you know bought our house from they left a box with some musical theater um albums in there. And so I think that I was listening to, you know, Stephen Sondheim in the basement and oh. the the songs spoke to me. Send in the Clowns was like, mm. I was in elementary school and I was <laughs> loving Stephen Sondheim and Send in the Clowns.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love that. And, and so the two, you know, beyond just the theater, were there other art forms that you were engaging in like music or dance and and like TV that you were watching at the time that started to inspire you?
0: Well, I watched all my children from the <gasps> very first day that it ever began. No kidding. And, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, you know, Chicago was the number one, all my children city in the nation. Mm. Um, so that was a big part of my life. And of course to get to grow up and be in Pine Valley was like heaven. Yeah. And, um, think of what else definitely, um, all my children and I had a little, uh, keyboard,
1: you know, at home. And so I taught
0: myself to play.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: And, um, I had a little guitar And I loved Edith Ann. I loved Lily Tomlin's Edith Ann. So I had a (laughs) ventriloquist twist doll. And I would, um, you know, play at that. And I had my little, you know, girl singing groups on the block. So me and my friends, we would write songs. And so, yeah, there was, you know, I think there was um, just creativity all around. I remember my aunts who were only 13 years old younger than me they would all they were in high school so they were um you know doing their singing and stuff and having their group so i was seeing that happen and that was probably inspiring me even though i wasn't really into motown
1: huh really really yeah yeah but it was just the i the creativity that came with the music and the arts that you were loving yeah so then i i'm curious too when did it click that you were like, "Oh, i I could do this professionally i'll go to like college for this and and pursue this as a professional mm-hmm.
0: You know the click thing didn't ever really happen until I was an adult, and I'd been doing it for a long, long time. Um, yeah, hmm. I had started off always wanting to go to Yale mm-hmm. and I got into Yale and got a full ride to Yale plus extra money for things and I don't know really why I didn't go to Yale.
1: Hmm.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, clearly my destiny was not to go there, but um, I turned down Juilliard because it was in New York city. And I was like, I definitely don't want to live in New York city, Oh, but I always uh, felt that work was a gift and that one did not turn down work because my mom had really struggled to find and keep work for most of my life. So I think the value for me was work. And I had started working as an actor professionally when I was about 13. I started doing commercials and modeling and industrials. And so I just kept working. Like if people offered me a job, I took the job because I knew how hard it was to get a job. And I actually had to learn how to say no to work.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) which is also a valuable skill to learn in life. Absolutely. <laughs> so then I, I have to hear more about this, because you were like, you don't want to live in New York, but then you eventually get cast in Merrily We Roll Along. What was that move? What was that transition to New York like for you then?
0: Um, I'm a very uh, intuitive person. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people call it clairvoyant. Mm-hmm. Um, I just... I, I don't know. I, I feel things. I sense things. It's an instinctive thing that I've always had.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, um, you know, once again, Merrily, we roll along. It was work and it was with the gods of the theater, the people I most wanted to work with on my list. I have all oh. my students always make a list of who you want to work with. Oh. So I wasn't going to turn down a job and I wasn't going to turn down a job with something that I had always dreamed of. Right. So clearly, it was my destiny to go to New York at that time. But I never, ever thought that Merrily would be successful. That was before ever seeing a script. Huh. I just had a
1: feeling of like, interesting. <laughs> How? Yeah. Yeah. Intuition. Wow. Mm-hmm. No kidding. So, I mean, because you grew up in Chicago. Yeah. Um, did you? Were you used to, I guess, like, I, I want to call it the city life. I don't know if that makes sense. But was that kind of like moving from a city to another city easier for you than you think other people may have? it?
0: Uh, I don't know. But I, you know, I did not like New York when I went to visit Juilliard. And I was very clear I did not want to live in the city. The way, you know, people just walk by poor people on the street. I just thought this is a cruel, cruel place. And I didn't, mm. didn't want to live here.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it was the draw of, yeah, working with... It was a job. And it was a job that I had
0: always dreamed of. So you can't turn that down.
1: Wow. So have you found things that you like about New York now? Uh, Of course, there's so many. I mean, I had visited New
0: York. I'd seen lots of Broadway shows. Mm. I loved the arts of New York. New York has so many incredible things, incredible restaurants, incredible art. Um, But as a place to live, it's a tough place to live largely because of the sense of powerlessness in the, in the, in the face of so much poverty and pain. Mm. Um, I think at this point in life, I'm just like, okay, New York is the best of the most sacred and the most profane. Mm. And I'm um, sort of managing that. And yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a very specific city. Right. Mm -hmm. So then, so I know, you know, right. So with your career, you have done like a lot of stage work and a lot of tv work so after merrily you that's when you started your tv work about
0: a year or two after merrily i mean i did some regional theater and some industrial films a couple years after merrily i uh was cast as heather dalton on as the world turns
1: so what was that shift like for you
0: Well, I had auditioned for all my children and um, didn't get the part. So I had always looked forward to being on a soap opera. So I didn't get all my children. So getting as the world turns was like, oh, my God, I'm still going to get to be on a soap opera.
1: (laughs) Right. What spoke to you about about soap operas?
0: Um, I don't know. I, you know, I think was not all my children one of the first ones. I mean, I just loved it—the drama, like (laughs) everything that could possibly happen could happen. And and you know, I think as a young actress, I wanted to play all the most dramatic things, and you know, have all these terrible things happen for pretend and Mm. get to act them out. Mm Hmm. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Of course, when I got on there, I didn't have any of those things happen because I never had a front burner storyline.
1: But (laughs) Uh, right. But it was it was kind of another. It feels like another moment where you got to, um, do the work that you had always like aspired yep. to do.
0: I yeah. I dreamed it up, and there I was.
1: We love the manifestation.
0: Yes, I'm <laughs> I'm a very powerful manifester.
1: Yes, I'm here for that. Um, well, so so, and then I guess my question too is because. You know, I guess I've heard artists before talk about, you know, the differences between stage and screen, and I know it sounds like TV and film work, you know, I guess pay better than stage or like there's better working conditions. Did you ever see yourself going back to stage work after that?
0: Um, I
1: didn't have the
0: best time on the soap opera.
1: Gotcha. And so for
0: me, the soap opera was a way to fund the theater, which was my first love. Mm. I I literally hadn't really thought much about uh, other TV and film, but I loved the theater. I loved being on stage, even though it scared me to half to death, but Mm. I loved it. And um, yeah, I I remember the first series I got, you know getting paid a lot of money to do nothing was very frustrating for me.' I'm like, I'm young, I want to be doing this, like I know I'm making more money than I've ever made in my life, but I have like two lines every couple of weeks. Yeah. get me off of this show, yeah, mhm, now, give me those two <laughs> lines every couple of weeks <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, but the hunger the hunger
0: yeah, the hunger to 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 do to ply my trade to show off all the work I was doing in my classes,
1: yeah yeah so then I mean what I love is like you returned to Broadway it's Jelly's Last Jam like I think an iconic group you've got Felicia Rashad George C. Wolf, Gregory Hines you win a Tony I mean I that seems like an exciting return you know to Broadway
0: well let's go back and say that Felicia Rashad replaced me in Jelly's Last Jam
1: I I didn't realize that okay
0: (laughs) it's okay I've been in rooms where I've been erased from even being in the show, where they oh, thought no. Alicia Rashad originated the role. Um, oh. But she wasn't in it with me. So it was me, Gregory Hines, Keith David, Ruben Santiago Hudson, Savion Glover, um,
1: I mean, and Duke and yeah. Um
0: Yeah, that was the first cast on Broadway of Jelly's last June.
1: And what was that like in the rehearsal room?
0: Um what was that like? <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting question. Well, um Gregory was um you know, there was definitely a kind of power power play between Gregory and George.
1: Um oh. that was
0: played out very politely. You know, it huh. was it was very politely behind the scenes, but we were aware of it. And my place in the middle of that power play was um Gregory wanted uh I was told, you know, this is rumor mill. Mm. I had been told this probably, you know, it was the hush hush in the hallways that he had wanted Suzanne Douglas to play Sweet Anita because they had just done the movie tap together. Mm. And he was planning for the two of them to do the Kama Sutra on stage. Mm. And um, when we got to the love and is a Lowdown down blues scene and uh, Gregory was wanting to do all kinds of sex acts, and I was like to my agent, uh, get me out of the show because I'm not going to be doing that in a mm-hmm. musical. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that probably no one was going to allow those things to happen. But I was a, you know, an easy scapegoat for that. And so Gregory uh, blamed me for it not getting to be what he wanted it to be. And mm-hmm. um, he, he made a point of... of publicly never acknowledging my existence or speaking to me uh, when we were not on stage.
1: <gasps> Hence the erasure you were just talking about. Yeah. Oof. Really? Yeah. That's petty.
0: Well, he did it to his own brother and he was always quite public about it. It wasn't like it was something he was pretending. He was quite public about the fact that if you, you know, have beef with someone, you just don't acknowledge their distance. And, you know, I guess there are a lot of people who do it. I have my own children are doing it to me right now, so...
1: Mm. i guess
0: some men uh see that as a that that's the ultimate power play
1: <laughs> dang yeah pa- but power being a key word in that maintaining the power so was the was the tony award win bittersweet for you then
0: uh it was like i earned this fucker
1: oh i see i see <laughs> yeah yeah mm-hmm mm-hmm hmm Very interesting. I mean, I obviously did not know that story, but very interesting story too. Um, Wow. And so, huh. So I, I, cause I then, I think of um, Carolina Change, which has, I feel like become this significant musical in, in the canon, you know, I'm like gesturing my arms big, um, you know, in, in theater history. And I, I always just, I, I guess I'm, thinking about you know the stories that audience members get told about musicals get told about the theater you know what um what what is solidified in history and I'm always curious okay we know what this means to the community at large we know what this means for the larger ecosystem but for you as an artist what did the experience of Carolina change mean to you
0: I think it's the piece that Touched my soul the deepest, mm. and um, transformed me as an artist more than any other piece. Oh wow! And so I, um, I feel very sensitive and covetous and protective of it.
1: Mm. Yeah. Mm. I, I guess thinking back to the process, can you remember the moments? that you feel like were so transformative, so transcendent for you?
0: Um, I think working with a George C. Wolf, it wouldn't have happened with anyone, but George C. Wolf, because he is a genius and he called upon my genius to be there. And because um, he is not intimidated by genius
1: Mm. He calls
0: that out in everyone. Mm. And so, and and that's rare in, in, you know, that's rare. Maybe I've had three or four directors in my life who are comfortable in the presence of genius and therefore expect that of everyone.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: so people rise to that because Mm. that is the expectation. Mm -hmm. Um, And I find that for me, if you treat me like I need to prove it to you, I'm not going to. (laughs) Right. But if you treat me like you think I can do anything, then I'm going to jump off a cliff and find out what I can do.
1: Right. And right. so
0: the invitation from George was to uh, go deeper and higher than I'd ever gone in my life. And I think uh, the container of the what Tony and Janine had written was so great that uh, I was able to rise to a level that I'd never had material that allowed me to. And once Mm. I was able to fill that container, I mean, since then, I just have been like, I I can't go back into a small container anymore, which is, you know, I wrote, produced, directed, cast, costume design, you know, did everything on this movie because doing Caroline showed me, oh, I, I, you know, George used to say about Caroline, in another time in history, she would be running a small nation, and mm. what I discovered about myself in doing Caroline is that I needed to be running a small nation, that I had that inside of me.
1: Wow. Wow. That's awesome. And that's so exciting to hear, too, because I think collaboration has I, I, I feel like collaboration, it's so key to have that trust. And honestly, like that vulnerability, I feel like is the word that popped into my mind when you were describing the genius moment um, and allowing people to be there. They're full, whole, true selves.
0: Well, it's interesting that you should say that because I sometimes wonder with young people today that um, there's a fragility born of carrying around violent, you know, violence machines uh, every day of your life that I think... Um, some artists are uh, shying away from the kind of grist for the mill that sharpens you as an artist. Like Hmm. people think someone should give it to them or it should be easy. And it's like, no, no, no. You get stronger in the struggle. You get stronger Hmm. because someone comes in the room and sets the bar so high that you got to jump up there to the bar. (laughs) They don't lower the bar to you they put the bar up there and say, that's gone, step up that, that you need to be challenged. You need to be required to do more, to do better.
1: Hmm. And I think
0: a great director knows how do I get that out of each artist? And it's different for different actors, Um, but if actors are going to, and I'm not talking about abuse because no one should be subjected to abuse, but it's like, you know, if you are in the room with Andre DeShields, Andre DeShields comes to rehearsal day one. He is so on point. You're like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, I, I'm behind. I better step up.
1: Right, right.
0: And, and people of Andre's generation, for me as a young artist coming in the room, you you didn't have to have your director demanding that of you. The other actors like Andre and Nell Carter, they were like, they would be looking at you like, you slipping. The actors were tell you, you slipping. Mm-hmm. We, getting out, we going out here to slay. And don't don't make us look bad.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> standards were set, and so I feel like sometimes the standards have not been set. And I'm sorry, but you know, mainstream theater is all about mediocrity and standardization. And if you're just happy because your show is a hit and you get an applause, that don't mean you're doing the work or you're good.
1: Right. 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 Yeah. Hmm. So it's so it's it's not like you were saying earlier. It's not about proving like someone making you prove yourself but it's getting the best work out of you
0: it's like they like we're fabulous you better bring your fabulous right (laughs) don't come shirking up in here
1: yeah yeah wow wow so can you think of other examples from your your artistic career that were moments like like the ones you're describing with george
0: um, there's nobody like George. So there is no moment in history that you compare to working with George C. Wolf. But mm. there was a moment uh with with Sheldon Apps, who was another uh director who, you know, just called me to be to be my fiercest self. Yeah. And um he had this private conversation with me and asked me to do something in the midst of a run-through. No one in the room knew we had this conversation. Huh. And so we get to, this is in play on, and we get to this moment in the rehearsal where it's right before I'm about to sing what became the 11 o'clock number for me in that show. Mm -hmm. And there was a song before that. And he told me he wanted me to just have a nervous breakdown and just refuse to go on. Hmm. And so, you know, of course I did that. And all the people in the room was running to their, their cell phones to tell them, girl, you should, tiny time Pink has lost it today. Oh. You know, they don't know that we didn't
1: already work this out. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Running to the cell phones. <laughs> so the two, all of this experience, like, you know, you've, you've taken a piece of, of, all of your experiences, carry them with you as an, as an artist. Um, we, yeah, for, for Red Pill, I'm so excited to hear how you applied all of this and like what it was like wearing multiple creative hats for one project. I mean, writing, directing, starring, all of the things like, like what was that experience like for you?
0: It's what I was born to do. Ooh,
1: I, I was born it. to
0: run a small country. Yes. I cannot imagine working for other people anymore, really.
1: Wow. Wow. <laughs>
0: It's I like, it. what? <laughs> what, why would I co-build your castle mm. when I can build
1: my own castle? Okay. Wow.
0: <laughs> but I wasn't raised that way. I think we're all raised, you get a job, you're a good job. And that's what I did. And it's done well by me. And I have a good life because I did that. But now I'm like, oh, this is the last chapter of my life. Okay. I got to build my own castle. Cause if I don't build it, it's not going to get built.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about the origin story of Red Pill. Like, what was the creative spark where you were like, I've got to make this movie?
0: Um, I think it was a, a you know, I love horror. That's my favorite genre. Okay. So I watch probably, you know, there might be a day where I might watch three to five horror movies in a day if I'm like oh. having a day of doing nothing. I love horror and my mm-hmm. children love horror because they grew up watching it with me.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And as I said, I know things, not because I'm like some psychic or something, because I'm just in touch. I'm a very grounded, rooted, connected being. And there are things, and I listen to everybody, and I know that I don't know everything. So I'm always willing to be wrong and to learn from anyone. The homeless person on the street might be the angel or the teacher today. So I'm just... Mm. Always open to where the knowledge is going to come from. And I'm always looking and listening.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so but I think that's true of a lot of Black women, a lot mm. of Black people, mm. a lot of marginalized people, because it's like growing up with a mentally ill or an alcoholic parent. You have to be attuned to all of their moods because your life depends on it.
1: Ooh.
0: And mm. so... um, My awareness about the politics in America, I just was really clear. You know, while all these, you know, liberals are like, oh, Hillary, 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 it was like so clear to me that there was no way she was ever going to win. And people just treated me with contempt. Contempt, like I had two heads. Really? And and then, of course, after she didn't win, they all forgot (laughs) that I had told them that was how it was going to go down.
1: Right. And
0: so when, you know this this next election came up. I knew how that was going to go too. Mm. And it's was like, there's no point in even having a conversation. Cause the first time I was, I was kind of like, I was like, I think I gained 10 pounds just with like, how can people be so blind? How can they be so um. blind? How can they be so crazy? And this time I was like, yeah, people are blind and stupid and crazy. So let me, let me just make some art <coughs> uh-huh.
1: about what I know is going to happen. Mm. And
0: people can go, that is so far-fetched, Tanya. What a crazy idea. And that is literally what people said about the script. Really? Really far-fetched. I was like, okay, let me just make my, that's why it's horror, because you can make far-fetched things in horror. And uh, then, you know, it became the day-to-day reality.
1: Right. Right. Because when did you write the script? Because y'all filmed in October 2019?
0: I wrote it in August of 2019.
1: August of 2019. Okay, okay, right. And and you said it, the setting is the weekend before the 2020 election. Halloween weekend. Ha- Halloween weekend, right.
0: Because the elections are always over Halloween, after Halloween weekend.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that, that, I feel like that aligns nicely with the horror genre. Yes. Um. So, yeah, so in terms of, like, I know there's, like, certain tropes so to speak or certain like um, maybe tropes isn't the right word but like horror has
0: its tropes has its tropes absolutely has its tropes
1: okay okay so did you what what did you draw on in terms of like were you like oh i love seeing this in the horror movies that i love i i want to incorporate this into my movie Well,
0: um, the drive-in, that's always in the horror movie. Mm. So we have the long drive-in where you get to know the characters, but I'm a kind of contrary girl, so I flip the switch on pretty much almost all of the tropes. I flip the switch. So first of all, most horror movies are the preteens or the teens, Mm -hmm. and my horror movie is um, middle-aged people. Um, most horror movies, it's a pretty homogenous group of people, and maybe there's one person of color. Uh, my movie, there's more, there's, you know, a Latino and a Eastern European and a, you know, indigenous mm-hmm. person and two black people, and one is European and Afro-Cuban. And so just in the group of people that are going on this journey and the conversation coming in was a very important political conversation, people of color. Europeans like they just are like so into the conversation on the drive-in whereas most horror movies you can go get your popcorn on the drive-in because it's meaningless you're just looking and going oh (laughs) monster bait monster bait monster bait monster bait
1: (laughs) right right
0: so um that um the black person is always the first to to go Mm -hmm. so I had the black person be the first to go but by the end of the movie you realize they weren't dead um you know so, yeah, you know, the tropes there, I, I, I know, I know the genre. Right, well. right. I know the genre. I know where the expectations are, what it's supposed to be. And I gave you that. And then I gave you something that um, the ending uh, is something that people, you know, sometimes say to me, we'll be talking about that ending forever.
1: Wow. <laughs> I I love that. You, It's like, because you give a wink. You're like, I know the genre. And then mm-hmm. here's some more for you.
0: Mm-hmm. I will say it's a smart horror movie. It's smart. smart I think you, 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 if you're, if you're not smart, you, you know, you may be a little bored with all the complicated political talk in the beginning, but then once the violence starts, it goes, it goes, it goes, it goes, it goes, it goes, it goes. But if you're smart, you're like, Ooh, 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 Ooh. ooh."
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. So I'm curious too, like, in terms of your writing process, because I mean, I'm always curious, do, like, do you listen to music or were you like, you had this idea and you're like, I'm going to just get it out all in one go. Do you do it chronologically? All of those details. It's different hmm. all
0: the time.
1: Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I say that sometimes the muse just talks to me.
1: Yeah, and when sure. the muse
0: is talking, I might get up at, you know three o'clock in the morning, and the muse is talking, and I'm taking it down right um i I like to write scenes on index cards and then you know hmm. collect a hundred index cards and move them around
1: huh that's cool
0: um i I sometimes will just write out scenes or outlines uh sometimes I'll write whatever scene is talking to me, so I don't have a a set process, and there's sometimes long periods between me starting something and finishing it or, you know, but red pill was fast. Yeah. It was fast. Um, but you know, I have a a series idea that I started writing five years ago and I just, uh, got real focused and clear about what it needed to be this year. I think a lot of that often for me has to do with, I think that for most writers, you're always writing about yourself in some capacity and sometimes when i'm writing myself as the lead character it really wasn't until this pandemic that i actually really was able to allow myself to go you are an interesting person you could make a protagonist in in a show and then once i uh you know could accept that really accept that then i could write characters based on me and put my actor on it to say, okay, now that was based on you, but here's what we need to do to make the char- make it a character and make it interesting. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm curious about what, what happened during the pandemic that, that made you have that realization?
0: Um, well, staying home, hmm. I realized how much energy I was expending giving away, being out in the world and going places and doing things. And suddenly all that energy was back for huh. me. Mm-hmm. And one really profound experience was uh, when I got the Rachel Crothers Award and I was sitting on my living room couch, just receiving, um, just receiving all of this beautiful, loving, generous energy. It was just, oh my God, I could actually feel it. In a way that I've never ever felt it when I'm out at an actual awards ceremony, because you're spending so much time giving to all the people who are coming up to you that by the end of the evening, you're just exhausted. Mm -hmm. Uh (laughs) You know, you don't really get to receive the night of.
1: Right. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. Yeah. You got to like, like, uh, uh, is the word bask in it a little bit or like revel in it a little bit more as yourself?
0: I got to receive. It's like what one of my lovers told me about what makes a good lover. He said, most people are terrible lovers because both people are trying to give and receive at the same time. And so nobody gets anything. And it's like good lovemaking, tantric lovemaking, one person has to give while the other one receives. And then you alternate and you switch back and forth. But if both persons are trying to give, give at the same time, then nobody's
1: receiving. Right, 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 right.
0: And if both persons are
1: trying to receive, then nobody's giving. Right. And so to take the time, perhaps focus on.
0: Well, it's hard to do when you, I mean, maybe there's some people who know how to do it. I just don't know. I have not, maybe, you know, if I ever get a chance to get an award again in the future, I'll be better at it. But I realized getting that award in that way that like, Oh, most of the time I'm like out and I'm glad handing and I'm on heels and Uh I'm just smiling and I'm working and I'm thank you and I'm thank you and I'm thank you. And i am thank you and i am thank you and I'm not, I actually don't get to like have it land that I'm being honored.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So then, so then what about the awards yeah. for Red Pill? Have you, have you been implementing that practice?
0: Um, well, m- most of them have been virtual. So it's just notification that you won them, but I did get to receive a war- an award in person, the Michelle award in LA a few weeks ago. And, you know, that was just such a long night, you know, with all the COVID protocols, like, Oh, by the time I, first of all, I just didn't think I was going to win, <laughs> you know? And so by the time I did, it was like, Oh, I, I hope I, I mean, I know that I received it. Yes. I received it because it was, we couldn't, you know, touch, we couldn't even network with other people. So when I actually did get the award, I could just receive the award and there was not the opportunity to have to thank and thank and thank and thank and thank.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, like I was saying at the, at the top, um, you just won an award for Red Pill for outstanding direction. Um, And I wanted to hear more about your experience as a director for this piece. Like, on se- i mean I, I, yeah i don't know uh, on set or in the in the the pre-production planning of it all
0: i mean this happens so fast yeah. uh pre-production <laughs> we had like we had like uh i guess we had you know about 6 7 weeks of pre-production uh, i had a girlfriend who was um helping me out and so i had a girlfriend who was lending me her house i asked um, actor friends to be a part of it. There were two roles that were, you know, I went to several people, all of whom turned me down. Uh, I think it scared the shit out of a lot of the women
1: hmm. who I offered
0: it to. And the woman who ultimately took the role, she called me uh, immediately after reading it and said, Thank you for inviting me to play oh, this role. Wow. Mm-hmm. So it's clearly the right person. Um, I I didn't get to do much directing in this movie. My directing consisted of casting great actors because we were moving so fast, you know, no money, no time. And they say you either got to have one or the other and I had neither. And so I had to just trust that, you know, hey guys, this is a 14 page scene. We're going to do it like a play. We're going to do it straight through. You know, when I say action, take 14 take count 14 and just act in that time because I know I'm going to need that reaction in there. And Oh, when you get to that, take some time there. That was really all I could do. (laughs)
1: interesting yeah did you did was there something um i guess freeing about having to be so quick or would you have rather had more time
0: i would have rather had more time yeah i would have rather had more time I would have rather had more skilled people around me who, you know, knew their jobs and could do them. I would have rather been able to just focus on being a director rather than that I was producing. I was clapper. I was doing everything. Everybody was doing their best, but, you know, they, most of the people were not, had never done it before, didn't know all the things to do. So sometimes it was easier to just do it than try to explain it to somebody. Mm. Um, But it was the time of my life.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't
0: change it for anything in the world. It was fantastic. I just now know how I could do it a little better and a little easier next time.
1: Right, right. A, good, a learning and growing experience.
0: Totally. Like, it was the best film school education ever, and it cost as much.
1: Well, there, <laughs> there you go. And so I, I was just reading um, that, like, because I, I don't know much about, like, the, I guess, movie industry because I'm a theater kid. But so it's you you the movie made its round in the the festival circuit and now you're looking for a distributor uh yes so i, w- I was going to say like how I, I just i guess this is also me just wanting to know more about that process so is it i i get i don't know i i don't even know what my question is honestly i guess just like did you once you completed the film that's when you submitted it to festivals and are it, when it, they say distributors, that means like what an HBO or a, a Netflix yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Okay. You're,
0: you're sending out to all of those people to try to see if one of them will pick you up and put you on their platform. And yeah, that's what you're doing. Yeah.
1: I feel like this is content that is like absolutely something that would, it, would, it would, it's, it's a piece of art that would absolutely pique people's interest right now.
0: You know, you would think that, but as like I told you when I wrote it, that um, people were like, so far-fetched. I think that America still is in denial about what it is,
1: Hmm. and
0: um, so we haven't met with that kind of reception. Um, I I have a number of distribution offers, Mm -hmm. so it will get distributed. It will be in more festivals. It'll probably have a more worldwide release by the fourth quarter or the first quarter of the next year. But um, as many of the people who've seen it have said, it's going to be like a classic. It's going to live on. People will be talking about it and the fact that it, it predicted what was to be um, it's I, I, like I said, it, it's, it it is, it is the mo- movie of this moment and outside of the country they get it and they respond strongly. It's being translated into Russian. It's being translated oh, into wow. Spanish. Cool. It's in Croatia. It's been in Venezuela. It won awards in Barcelona, England, Amsterdam, Sweden, Greece. Outside of America, I, I feel like I'm supposed to be European because huh. when I when I'm in Europe, I can have conversations with people and about my country, and we we know what we're talking about here people treat me like I'm crazy or you know something like Americans don't understand their own country <laughs> or don't it, want to
1: <laughs> well right maybe yeah that that's probably the way to phrase it because it, it feels like the you know art that holds a mirror up can often be um <laughs> I guess scary I don't know yeah, yeah um yeah. but it is a horror film you like you you said um so perhaps fear is is a feeling they should tap into. Um, but I am, you know, despite me not being a, a horror person, so to speak, um, I, I'm so excited for these distribution offers, like you were saying, and and for more people to engage with your work because it's just, I mean, it's also just exciting for you as an artist that you have, like you said, you have had the time of your life, you have found your calling of what you're supposed to be doing as an artist. Yeah. Running a small country.
0: <laughs> yeah. Definitely.
1: <laughs> Yeah. Well, so the, the two final questions um, to wrap up the podcast today um, are as follows. If you could recommend a piece of black art, whether it was a film or a book or a musical album um, that really speaks to you, that you would love for our listeners to take in, what would it be?
0: So many. I mean, I'm quite a reader, so it's, I'm going to give you more than one. OK. Um, I'm going to tell you them the Amazon, uh, is it Amazon or HBO? I'm not sure. I think it's Amazon. Mm
1: -hmm, I -hmm. think it is
0: essential essential and cathartic viewing for Black artists. Uh, It is the first time in my life that I've seen someone creatively tackle uh, what goes on psychologically for people of different genders and generations in living immersed in, uh, anti-blackness.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And, uh, I say that everyone should watch it. If you don't want to watch it because, oh, it's too much trauma porn, watch it so that you understand what other generations of black people had to endure.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so that has been, uh, really, really, uh, critical. The book cast, by Isabel Wilkerson. Mm-hmm. Um, and in class with Carr every Saturday with Karen Hunter and uh, Professor Greg Carr is my church, oh. the largest Africana studies program in the world. It is an education that, if you just listen to that, you get more of an education than you've gotten in 16 years of, of, of paid schooling. Wow. Um, and they have now started a platform called Narrative, which is a subscription platform. It's It's, it's funny. It's everything. It's just the most inspirational, amazing thing in the world. As I said, it's my church in class with car on YouTube. They started it in the pandemic and it made me want to go back to Howard, but I've been told that he can't even do what he does at Howard that he does on in class with car. This man is for people who know who Noam Chomsky is. That's why I'm making a comparison. He's probably more brilliant than Noam Chomsky, but he would be the black Noam Chomsky. Wow. The man is
1: brilliant. I need to look this Uh, up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great. Don't change your life.
1: I'm ready. Yes. <laughs> so then, if you could give a shout out to a fellow black artist who is really inspiring you lately, who would it be? The person that I
0: want to give the shout out to is Ray Fisher.
1: Okay.
0: Um Ray Fisher um and I just finished doing a mini series called Women of the Movement, which is um Marissa Jo Sarar's six part on ABC telling of um, the murder of Emmett Till and um, Mamie Till's um, activity as started the modern civil rights movement. And I play Emmett's grandmother and Ray plays uh, Mamie's future husband. And what inspires me about Ray is he walks the walk and talks the talk. This is a handsome young man at the height of his career been under contract with studios for the last decade and he stepped out on his own to take a stand against the racism, um, that happened with him working with, um, I guess it's that Josh Whedon guy, you know, got him fired from the future movies as cyborg mm -hmm. and he is standing, um, his ground and standing in truth, not hate standing your ground because that's how White people kill black people, Mm. but he is um, standing in truth and accepting the consequences, which have been quite, you know, financially and professionally, uh, huge consequences. So I am uh, inspired and want to uplift and support him for uh, doing the right thing in the face of great consequences, which that is always, there is always a cost to doing the right thing. So he's the person.
1: Oof. Yeah. Shout out to Ray Fisher. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely um well and thank you i mean you this was so great to talk to you and and hear about your artistic journey and hear about this exciting red pill film um and you know sharing sharing your journey with us if if folks want to follow along um in terms of of your artistic journey and the movie uh, where on social media can they do that
0: they should go to www.redpillmovie2020.com. Yes, and they can become ambassadors. They can follow the newsletter, and I do do offers every now and then. You know, since we probably uh, won't get out until the fourth of, but I, you know, I just did a a special offer on the Karen Hunter show last week. I'll probably renew that offer again uh, next week. I'm 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 hosting Karen Hunter's show uh, Wellness Wednesdays, but. I'm going to do this special thing for you. If they visit RedPillMovie2020 com forward slash offer dash yes forward slash, they get a like a fifty percent discount and they can see the movie today.
1: There you go, y'all. For whenever I this it. airs, right, right, yes, uh, that's exciting. That's great. um and I so yeah so thank you so much this has been such a pleasure um and I'm, li- I'm looking forward for all of the movies you're gonna have in the future now that you're gonna be running all of your small countries
0: <laughs> I stand in agreement with you Felicia thank you for that thank you for speaking that into being for me
1: absolutely we got to manifest <laughs> yes yes thank
0: you so much for having me it's been a pleasure speaking with you
1: thank you you too until next time y'all